Welcome to Coach House Talks. Good morning, everyone. So today we're going to finish off 2 Peter 2. So we had Melanie two weeks ago take us through false prophets of the past. Jamie last week talked to us about how to recognize false prophets, their fate, and the importance of finding good role models to be aligned to. So today I'm going to look at the importance of knowing the truth for ourselves and living it out. So we're going to read 2 Peter 2, verses 10 to 22, but I'm going to keep jumping in and explaining a bit, so it'd be really helpful for you to have it open in front of you so you can follow along. The passage goes like this. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. So Jamie gave us the example last week of those who claim to bind Satan and how dangerous that is. We don't have power over demons or the devil. The power is God's. The passage then continues with what will happen to these people. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instincts, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed, an accursed brood. Just like it says in Matthew 7, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. These people might hang around with Christians, but they are sinners. They're not trying to follow the way of Jesus, but are following their own ways. There's a massive difference between still sinning because that's the human condition, but trying to do something about it, and sinning because that's what you want to do, and that's what you choose to do. We will all still choose to sin at some points, but if the trend is that we are trying to follow the right way, then we're on the right path. To be able to do that, we need to know Jesus, and we need to know the truth, to live it out. These people aren't on the right path. The passage continues. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So let's pause here for a minute. Paul is referencing a story in the Old Testament, and it can be found in Numbers 22. Balak, king of Moab, was afraid of the people of Israel, or more specifically, afraid of God. Balaam was a prophet of God, and Balak recognized that what he said came true. So Balak sent people to Balaam to try to get him to prophesy something negative about the people of Israel. He prayed and God told him that the people were protected and that he could not prophesy against them. So Balaam refuses the people the king sent. 
Now, the next bit is quite difficult to get your head around, and I've had to do quite a bit of research to understand it. This would definitely be a catalyst question if I wasn't talking about it today. Balak sent more men in number and distinction to try to persuade Balaam to come to curse Israel. Balaam tells them something that sounds really good and righteous. He says, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything, great or small, to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. But then he says, now spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. God tells him to go with them, and so he does. But then, while he's riding his donkey on the way, God is so angry with him that he sends an angel of the Lord to block Balaam's donkey and make it act crazy, even causing it to crush his leg on a wall and lie down, refusing to move. Balaam beat the donkey so hard that it spoke to him in a human voice, explaining that it was normally a good donkey, so Balaam should look for some other reason as to why it acted this way. Then the angel of the Lord was revealed to him, and eventually he was allowed to continue his journey with the warning of, say only what I tell you. So why is God angry with Balaam when he's supposedly just doing what God had asked him to do? I think that God is delaying him so he'd arrive at the right time and warning him of what the outcome would be if he disobeyed what was told him. But I also think it goes deeper than that. I think the key to this is in 2 Peter. In verse 15, it says, Balaam loved the wages of wickedness. You see, when we read this story, it can look like he's just following what God had told him to do. But we don't read it with God's eyes. God, could, no, uh, God knew the wickedness and greed in his heart. God could see that in his heart, Balaam wanted to prophesy in favor of Balak. God could hear him begging to be allowed to go with them. For God to give him just one negative prophecy against Israel. God knew that in his heart, Balaam was in it for his own glory and financial gain, rather than to honor God. Balaam knew the truth, but he wasn't necessarily living it out. There are people nowadays that are in it for the popularity and financial gain. There are people that maybe started off on the right path, but have moved to being bothered about their own glory rather than God's. They will say certain things or avoid saying other things, to make sure that they remain popular. Or they'll sell amulets and miracle spring water to gain money and tell you that they're wealthy because God's blessed them and that their wealth should help you see that what they're saying is correct, that God's blessing shows they're on the right path. But God won't necessarily show his blessing using financial gain or popularity. God doesn't want us to get the glory he knows that in the end, that won't do us any good. He wants us to be in it for his glory, because that's best for us all. If something is of God, it will point to God. And if it's not, it will point away from him or towards a person. We need to know that truth in our hearts so we can recognize when something is false. If we know what someone looks like and someone's done a painting of them and it looks a bit wrong, we can tell that something's off, but we might not be able to tell what's off. The better we know that person, the more we will be able to recognize what's wrong with the picture. It's the same with Jesus. 
The more we know him, the more we will know what's wrong with the pictures that false teachers are painting. Knowing him is enough to know that something's off, but the better we know him, the more clearly we will see what's wrong with what a false teacher is saying. These people who are teaching the wrong things on purpose, consistently, ignoring warnings, will be subject to the judgments laid out in this passage. They will perish from verse 12. They will be paid back for the harm they have done from verse 13. And blackest darkness is reserved for them in verse 17. We need to be wary to avoid them. But if and when we get involved in leading God's people, we also need to be careful to be faithful to God's call and not become like them. We need to know the truth in our hearts, teach the truth as it really is, and know who deserves all the glory. Let's continue the passage from verse 17. These people are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, while they themselves are slaves to depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. These verses highlight that those that are most easily taken in by false teachers are those that are new to the faith. People that haven't been Christians long are more likely to believe falsehoods, as they're still learning the truth. So it's really important that we protect those that are new. We need to look after and disciple them as best we can to make sure that no one falls into error. We need to make sure that these people know the truth and have the best resources available to live it out. False prophets claim to be able to give freedom. They claim that traditional Christianity is too stuffy and that the God of the New Testament could never judge people in the way that some say. They claim that real freedom isn't found in, in Jesus or living the right way, but in living the way you want. The Bible is quite clear that there's a choice. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to God's way. We can either choose to live for ourselves and be under judgment or we can live under grace and, with the Holy Spirit, do our best to live God's way. This is why, as Christians, we can't judge anyone that's not a Christian. If it wasn't for the grace of God, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit enabling us, we would fall in all the same ways that they do. If they are to have any chance of being healed of their sins, they need to know the truth. Some say that this is too narrow and too harsh, but if we really think about it, how can warning someone of a danger not be right? My sister felt the pain of being not warned when she was little. There was once when she was in year one, so she was five or six years old, when her teacher decided it would be a great idea to make a fruit salad. 
Not only that, he decided it would be a great idea to give small children sharp knives to cut oranges without much instruction or supervision. My sister, being quite inexperienced with knives at the time, managed to cut through her finger. We need to be instructed to keep ourselves in, out of harm's way. Then there's the other tricky part of the verses we just read. If they've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. This passage is problematic because it could bring up the whole debate about us being predestined to be Christians or us having absolute free will. I think this debate is often distracting and unhelpful, and I don't agree with either side fully. So I'll answer a different difficult question instead. What does the passage mean when it says they are worse off? This reminds me of a story told by Jesus, and indeed the commentaries say that Peter purposefully used the same words. Jesus told this story in Matthew 12. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert, seeking rest, but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns, and it finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. He was saying this to the Jewish people that had once been the people of God, but had instead tried, turned to trying to live under human rules and regulations. What this is saying is if you've walked away from your former life and you've turned to walk the way of Jesus and then you turn back again, leaving your life clean and swept but empty, devoid of God, you'll find yourself in more trouble, in deeper sin than if you'd never repented in the first place. We've all seen it in magazines and I'm sure lots of us have experienced it ourselves when dieting. We do really, really well on the diet and lose loads of weight. And we feel we're in the best shape we've ever been in. But then there's a trigger that takes our eye off the ball. Maybe we reach that target weight, or we go on holiday. Or for me, it was a wedding. I'd done the thing that I was dieting for. Then afterwards, I put on more weight than if I'd never dieted in the first place. The passage then highlights two proverbs that can be found in the book of Proverbs about returning to sin. Peter uses the examples of a dog and a sow, and a sow is a female pig. This is because these animals are unclean in Jewish law. What he's saying is if the animal isn't changed, it will return to the only thing it knows, being a dirty, disgusting animal. What people need is not a little outside washing. It's not that people just need a bit of self-help, a bit more exercise, and maybe some meditation. People need to be changed from what they are. The only way this can happen is if they truly meet Jesus and properly get to know him. 
to be changed, we need to know the truth and live it out. So we all need to know the truth. We need to know it for ourselves so we're not tricked by a false teacher and so we don't become them. We need to know it so we can help others, especially those that are new to the faith. And we need to know it so we can share it with those who don't yet know Jesus, who are in danger of spending eternity without him. And how do we know the truth? We read our Bibles and we pray to get to know God. And we come to church to spend time together as Christians to help sharpen each other. We need to keep our hearts and minds focused on God and the way he wants us to live. We need to put God as the cornerstone in our lives, the center, the most important thing. We need to know the truth and then we need to live it out. I'm going through physiotherapy right now for a stress factor in my leg. It's very boring and I have a lot of exercises to do that take effort. Living out the truth of the gospel can sometimes feel like that. It can feel like a slog that we just have to keep going through. But the reward for my exercises is that one day, hopefully soon, I will be able to run again. And the same is true of us living the correct life. We will get to live out the purpose God has for us. And one day, we will get the reward of living with him eternally, running free. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at www.coachhousechurch.org.